it's such a weird job. It's the weirdest job that I can think of. It is a weird job. There is something magical about sitting around eating junk food with your crew after something really, really terrible happens. Let's do this. This is Ginger Locke, and welcome to the experiment that I've named Medic Mindset. The idea is for other medics or paramedic students to have a chance to be a fly on the wall and listen as I attempt to dissect the inner workings of a medic's mind. I think the content is useful, especially to new medics. And at a minimum, I'm having a blast connecting with these guys. I respect them tremendously, and making the podcast has been a phenomenal creative outlet. Along the lines of creativity, the audio you hear is raw and almost entirely unedited. And it only made sense to me to do it this way because that's how I know the field of EMS to be. It's raw and it's certainly unedited. In this episode, we talked to Susie and this one was fun because she relaxes and gets real about some issues that every medic understands, but you really don't hear them discuss. She shares the quirky habit she had on tough calls that she didn't even know she was doing until someone pointed it out, Um, how she battles motion sickness in the back of the truck with patients in that same compartment, parts of the job that are hard that she never really considered uh, would be hard, and hang around to the end where she bravely discusses the unique intimacy shared between EMS partners. Susie, welcome to the show. Thanks for letting me pick through your brain. Let's jump right in uh, with the first thing I'm curious about. So if you could go back to paramedic school. uh, Yeah, nice face. (laughs) But you could only go for a day. Is there any lab clinical lecture you could repeat? One day. Yeah, just one day. And I guess essentially what I'm asking is what topic you feel like, oh man, I must have missed that day. Cardiology in general. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Um, hard to say one day, but that's one thing that, that it's so detailed that I didn't pay as much of attention to that I wish that mm-hmm. I would have on a daily basis. I know where you work has, it's a lot of cardiac, mm-hmm. a lot of geriatric calls um, that basically everybody buys themselves a monitor. So I need to back up a little bit and for you to say just generally what type of environment you work in. So like, is it urban? Is it fire-based? A little bit more rural. And we work with a lot of different agencies, several different volunteer fire departments, a couple big paid ones, but it's definitely pretty far from a cardiac facility, Mm -hmm. at least 45 minutes, if not more. So being able to recognize things. Oh, and a giant geriatric population as well. Right. So Mm -hmm. being able to recognize things and treat them for that hour that you're transporting is huge. Mm -hmm. What area, if if today, let's say uh, you couldn't work in the field anymore, and so you have to come back to teach, right? And of all the classes that you took, what would be your topic area that you would, what would be your niche? What do you feel like you are? I think special pops. And part of that comes from working with geriatric population, Mm -hmm. just trying to maybe teach compassion as much as possible, which is not always a teachable thing but being prepared for how much compassion you need to Mm -hmm. do the job really well but also you know I'm interested I'm pregnant currently so interested in that and pediatrics are interesting as well yeah well then uh, since you've shared that you're pregnant let's let's go there let's talk about that 
are you anticipating well let me ask you this the pregnancy has it changed your work schedule or not anything different um i've been binge working just preparing so i've been working 48s all the time Mm-hmm. Which is pretty rough. And the first part of the pregnancy in the back of a vehicle with intense morning sickness, throwing up on the fly behind the patient secretly all the time, you do know, you, like having my mints in my water. Do they know on, that I'll you threw right up? Back. No, I got really good at it because I was so sick and just the motion made it worse. You know, you don't eat and you get nauseous, mm-hmm. but if you eat, then you're going to throw up in the truck. Right. So you have to, like, sneak back to the captain's chair and, like, do it real quick. You don't think they smell that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, love it. But that was rough. But I also find that the patients love it. Mm-hmm. They always want to talk about it, and they can be in a ton of pain or complaining about anything, and then they kind of notice the bump, and they're like, oh. And right. then we have this common ground, and yeah. it's been great. Everybody's making predictions about the gender and... Mm-hmm. um so it hasn't changed anything like that, but it's definitely made me less invincible feeling because in the beginning you're like, oh, I'm such a badass paramedic, you know, mm-hmm. I want to go into these houses and save people and I don't care if it's dangerous and I want to do rescues and all this and no fear about being in the back of the truck. And now I find myself seated with a seatbelt on 10 times more often because right. I, you know, all of a sudden, it's not just me, and mm-hmm. I'm thinking about the future. Because that's one thing in school, they always talk about safety, but you don't really realize how dangerous this job can be. Yep. I really <sighs> I really didn't realize how dangerous it was. Um, I've had, um, more, very unfortunately, more than one co-worker die in the line of duty. And the first one, I thought, oh, this is a freak accident. This will never happen again in my career. And then the second one thought what is happening i still wonder if it's just i'm unique that i've had two i don't think so workers i think not i don't think so and i didn't i had no clue and it's not just being on the road too but just being in the back going really fast with a 220 pound person that may or may not be mentally stable at the Mm -hmm. time Mm -hmm. stuff like that never used to phase me and all of a sudden i'm terrified so that sort of changed my outlook on things, probably right. for the better. But <laughs> Do you think it's because you literally are carrying this yes. <laughs> fetus around with you versus once uh, your baby is born, maybe you'll be separated? Maybe so. Mm-hmm. I feel a little more fragile. And even my boyfriend, who's not scared of anything, he, I've noticed early in the morning he'll wake up when I'm leaving at 5 and tell me to drive safe. Uh-huh. Yep. Like every day. He didn't used to do that. Right. Um. Well, let's switch gears. Uh, let's talk about... Do you read uh, books? I do. I don't read very many paramedic books. Uh-huh. But I did read that Thousand... You say that, you say that like you have guilt. No, a little bit of guilt. But I did read the Thousand Naked Strangers book, mm-hmm. and it was good. It was very entertaining. I read it pretty fast. Yeah. It's a uh, it's a fun read. That mm-hmm. might be a good read for someone in school. Just I think to so, Just to take too. your mind off things and mm-hmm. give you a break. Or do you go to any websites, medical-based stuff? Uh, Life in the Fast Lane is kind of my go-to. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a good one. Partially because anytime I search something, it comes up, but I like how simple it is. So that's a great one. And then really just for looking up meds and stuff, I use Google all the time. Because I used to carry around a little pocket drug guide, and I never used it. Right. Never. Yep. Not ever. (laughs) So So that is another thing I wanted to know is do you open up any apps while you're on calls? We have an SOC app. A lot of times on the way, just to double check a dose or uh, ensure that 
my mind is going the right direction with the treatment plan. That's really helpful. I'm not a very tech oriented person. Uh-huh. So do you have a hard copy of the SOCs in your truck as well? Yes. And in my pocket. Usually. Uh-huh. Usually. Okay. Hopefully. And also I carry, um, we do DSI out there. Mm-hmm. So carry a weight chart with the doses mm-hmm. of each medication because I think in a stressful time, it would be really difficult to calculate. Yeah. The charts make me feel so much better. Yeah. So I always have those with me mm-hmm. in the SOCs. I'm convinced that we placed way too much emphasis on memory in medicine. Like, medicine is not a memory game. This isn't like, <laughs> we're not playing a game here. Mm-hmm. We need reference cards. And so the the reference card that you're describing, is it in your SOCs or is this something that's separate? It's separate. Is it laminated? No, it should be. It's just a piece of paper. Yeah. Can you, you shove this in your it. pocket? Um, It's in my little book. It's in your book. It's in my little book with all my stuff. Okay. Yeah. Just free. Mm-hmm. And then what? there's like a weight-based or a height-based one. So mm-hmm. how much, what's an ideal weight for someone of this height? Right. Yeah. Okay. And then so like a stroke a sheet too, just things that we need to know on a stroke so that I can hand that to someone and they can figure out all the details I need while someone else is helping me tend to the patient. That's really helpful as well. Any other reference cards that you use? GCS? I have a... No, only because we have that in the computer, so it's really easy to just plug it in. Yep. Uh, That's one thing that I admittedly never quite memorized perfectly, and I wish that I had. I I disagree. I don't think we're supposed to. It's a lot. (laughs) I think it was never... So the the two neurologists that developed the GCS, they never intended it to be like an emergency uh, medicine tool. It was an in-hospital, you know, coma score to see how people were trending over many hours. And they would sit down with a clipboard and slowly go through this scale. And so when we laid it over uh, into our world, I think a lot of people have guilt about not knowing the components of the GCS. But I think it's actually quite frankly, like, if someone's low on the GCS, that's a high acuity call. And you're not going to remember the the nuances of it. Um, One other thing, though, too, is a CPR checklist. mm -hmm. Because... While I've discovered that a code is not at all the most difficult call you can work, there are so many things just to be checked off a checklist. So, you know, we have to make a termination phone call to the medical director, and he wants to know very specific things. What was the rhythm whenever you got there? When did it change? What was capnography? And you like to have a nice organized paragraph to tell him about Mm -hmm. that patient when you call. So it's got sort of just a list of bullets that he wants to know that... After something stressful, you might not think of them all. And talking, you want to impress your medical director. Yes, too, you do. So. <laughs> you want to maintain their confidence. And um, along the lines of giving a synopsis of a patient, do when you call in radio reports, do you do it off the cuff? Do you have a formula? Do you have anything, a reference card you use for that? Not really, but I'm a little bit radio shy, so I always kind of do it out loud beforehand. Mm-hmm. And it is much more simple, I think, than... I always did it in school. Right. Walk me through the equipment that you carry with you on your person. So I'm curious, like, if you just started, if if you have a belt. Well, I used to carry a belt for a few weeks, and I hated it. (laughs) It got in the way, and it was bulky, and it kind of pulled my pants down a little. And I had all this stuff in there, but I hardly ever used it. Um... So now I'm more of a pocket 
oriented person. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it's not very much. So try to have my little pocket SOCs with me with all my charts. Um, try to have a stethoscope on the truck. Don't carry it on my person uh, because I will leave it on scene every single time. And if you hang it around your neck, it hits the patient in the face very frequently. Um, and you're only using it for a second. So that's yeah. a good point. <laughs> you know, I just leave it in the truck. I've heard people make the argument of putting it around your neck is dangerous yeah. too. I, that always seemed a little like it's a little over yeah. over uh, emphasized. I agree. But I'm constantly taking stethoscopes off of people's necks at the trauma center where we take students because they get busy and that's basically in their view. Actually, is in their. Um, field of view when they're doing procedures ivs and such i just end up taking that thing off of them yeah um and we we have one in the airway bag and it's not great but it works mm-hmm. and it doesn't gross me out really to use it right i always have gum mm-hmm. <laughs> i always have a little money for who knows when but as far as gear oh shears that's one thing i do have all the time mm-hmm. and a pen light because even though we have those everywhere you just never know when you're going to need it and what you're going to need it for. That's pretty much it, though. I don't have the big fancy belt. No. no. So you're not packed down with flashlights and no. multi-tools. Never carried a flashlight. How about... And I'm sure I'm going to... I bet you next next shift I'm going <laughs> to need a flashlight. I was carrying, like, a little pocket knife tool, and that was kind of nice for, like, prying oxygen tubing off or yeah. stuff like that, but... I really have only used it a couple times, and I don't usually carry it. So so how did you come to stop carrying it? More like going to bed and having really full pockets mm-hmm. and not having that belt to take off. Right. But really, the SOCs, I can sleep with those. Mm-hmm. And a lot of things now, I'll just leave in the truck. I just leave yeah. them like in a little cubby somewhere in the truck, and so I'm not just schlepping it around all the time. Right. So when I was in paramedic school, uh, I worked full-time and went to school so I was burning the candle at both ends and accumulated a a large sleep debt Um, and as a consequence of that I was doing a long transfer um, at least an hour and a half one way and fell asleep while driving uh, with a patient in the back and I knew I fell asleep because my foot came off the accelerator luckily and I just kind of the truck went right and I could just hear it winding down immediately woke me up I'm sure it was just a very tiny you know micro sleep that I experienced but it was alarming enough to really uh, rethink all my practices about what I was doing Um, has that ever happened to you uh, driving either the ambulance or home from shift or anything like that home from shift I've dozed off before And it's pretty scary, but it's always that same sort of thing. You know, you feel yourself drifting Mm -hmm. um, and wake up. But now, even if I don't really want to be drinking coffee, even just having like half a cup before driving home. Right. Which is kind of sad that I have to do that. Mm -hmm. But I also drive an hour from work. So on those shifts, it can be pretty intense uh, trying to stay awake. Right. But the radio's great, and I found even if I have, like, a great playlist on my phone, mm-hmm. and I hate a lot of what's on the radio, it's better to put on the radio because I will sit there and be trying to find uh, something. I like that. That's a good yeah, habit. instead of being really relaxed with whatever I have. That makes sense. So you could just hate all the, the morning talk show people and just hate them and just keep switching just around. Just keep hating them. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, so... 
What if you could put yourself on the most challenging call, you could paint a picture of that call, um, what would it look like? What would it involve? Where would it be? Um, I've yet to experience a really chaotic scene with multiple patients, and I don't think that I feel prepared to manage that kind of scene yet. Um, it's something you talk about in school with ops and everything, but on the side of a highway with multiple patients, managing resources, how many extra trucks do you need? Are you going to call a helicopter? Uh, That kind of stresses me out at night because I've yet to have to do it. And I also know that, you know, it's going to be a team effort when it happens, but I've never actually had to triage. Mm -hmm. So that's something I need to constantly just sort of review in my head how it would go. Mm Um, if you could go back and have a chat with yourself during paramedic school, is there any advice that we, you would give yourself? Well, I will admit, in paramedic school, to me, it was all about being, like, a hardcore paramedic. You know, I was so proud of myself for going to paramedic school, and I felt so cool saying I was in paramedic school and always thinking about the worst case that could happen. And and I, I think a lot of people feel that way, but I wish I could go back and... Talk about how important it is to pay attention to every detail of every lecture and keep all the notes. Mm-hmm. I wish I had done that. And I know a lot of my classmates did, so I can still contact them and look at them. But um, so much of it is not about being a badass, but instead about being extremely compassionate all the time and taking really good care of yourself so that mm-hmm. you don't do things like fall asleep at the wheel. Yep. Because the majority of calls are about patience and compassion and uh, humility in not being, like, the hero. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a physiological response when the tones go off? Yes. And it is so annoying because even if it's not my call, I am suddenly more alert and awake and stressed out. I feel this literal dump of chemicals in my body, and it is just so irritating and then also I can go home and hear something that kind of sounds like a tone and the same thing happens when I'm off work mm-hmm. um I have a chiming clock whose first note I've, I realized was the same first note of the tones it was the worst I turned that chime off <laughs> yeah I'm not a big fan of that physiological response but when it is your call I mean it, it helps get ready uh-huh for things Yeah, you're looking at it positively. I always worried that it clouded my thinking. On stressful calls or even actually precepting students when we've had like high acuity patients come in and they're busy doing their stuff, I'll find myself humming a tune very quietly just to myself. And it's actually when I hear myself humming, I realize, oh, I must be nervous. Is there anything that you notice that you do to help get through those crazy stressful calls? I'm a really deep long sire like I (laughs) like long and it's always sounds like a little frustrated so I kind of have to watch it um because I don't even realize I'm doing it did somebody else point it out to you yes when I'm nervous speaking with a a patient I I laugh and it almost comes off as I'm laughing at them right but I've really worked on that one Mm -hmm. because I've run into it a couple of times Mm -hmm. actually and that's less on the really high acuity and more, you know, with the patient that makes me nervous or is being rude. Or, but that's the really sighs nice. really do help. Uh-huh. As long as there's less growling. I was going to say, that, that sigh sounded yeah, a bit like a moan. Yeah, they're a little growly, like a little roary. 
It's a groan. Yeah, but deep breath, you know, and mm-hmm. just taking that second, just a second as a break before you do anything. Mm-hmm. It's really helpful. It's really nice that somebody pointed that out to you. Yeah. Um, we used to videotape students during these large-scale megacodes and let them watch themselves. I elected not to keep doing them because I think it was a little early in their career because they didn't like seeing themselves. Uh, and because it would pick up on strange kind of ticks or whatever, things right. they would do like that. Well, and they need the confidence at that point to I keep think so going, too. you know. Mm-hmm. It's crazy how confident, though, I feel even after a year, and not confident clinically, you know, with treatments and plans and calls. There's a thousand calls that I haven't seen and am not prepared for and might do poorly with, but uh, just as far as, like, presence appearing confident. Right. I feel like it's leaps and bounds, you know, not to toot my own horn, but it's amazing how fast it comes, and I... I don't know if it's the service I work for, really enjoying being around all those people that I get along with so well who are really encouraging. Um, And then just being in a more rural environment, you know everyone. So Mm -hmm. that helps. Um, But I've been really happy with those changes because I used to be so uncomfortable all the time. Mm -hmm. So now you literally can see yourself standing more squarely on your two feet, just kind of being more settled on calls? Or what is it that you notice that's changed? Um, Just not being so afraid. Yeah, I guess standing on my own two feet and knowing that I will make it through to the end of the call Mm -hmm. and things might go wrong, but I guess also accepting that that might happen and being okay with it. Right. Whereas before that was like the end of the world, Uh and now it's just... Yeah, I'm curious to see what you'll say about this. Do you think there is a particular personality type that makes for a good medic? Yes, although there are many, you know, there are many personality types that make for a good medic. And that's, it's such a weird field. It's such a weird job. It's the weirdest job that I can think of. It is a weird job. Um, <laughs> uh, but I think someone who's really adaptable and can get along with pretty much anyone Oh, yeah, I keep using the word compassionate, but I think the person has to be at least a little bit empathetic Mm -hmm. because otherwise you're going to get so frustrated and burnt out. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to genuinely care about other people Mm -hmm. to make it work or else you're going to be acting all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Good sense of humor. That's really important, I think. I think so, too. Um, I think if you don't start with a good sense of humor, you develop one. mm -hmm. True. And just being open-minded, too. Because, yeah open-minded to your own uh shortcomings open-minded to all different people in Mm -hmm. walks of life when you first day of paramedic school did you think you needed to be a certain personality to be a paramedic um the only thing that comes to mind is someone who likes adrenaline you know Mm -hmm. someone who likes the rush and can stay calm under pressure but even that's like more learnable than being an open-minded person Yes. You know? That's a skill set. Yeah, it's a skill. It's not even a personality trait, I would say. Right. Um, As an educator, and I've been doing this for 10 years, when I first started teaching, I thought during orientation I could pick out who was going to be a good medic and who wasn't based on general, like, temperament, affect, presentation of self. I was completely wrong. And what I've learned is that there are so many different personality types from extreme introverts to extreme extroverts. Um, it's been so humbling for me to realize 
that I can't pick them. Yeah, introvert, extrovert. Mm -hmm. I definitely thought that in the beginning too, you know, (laughs) not having taught for 10 years, but, you know, I had some really good close friends that happened to be extremely shy and I always wondered how it was going to happen. But it's amazing what kind of patience he connects with that will not give me the time of day (laughs) because I'm annoying to them and I'm loud and I'm obnoxious. Mm -hmm. But his quiet demeanor and his different sense of humor works wonders with, you know, this kind of person. So as long as you still have that open-minded, you know, sense of humor, even if it's, you know, different than mine, it just... I don't know. It definitely takes all kinds. Mm-hmm. And it, I like being paired with someone that's not like me. Is there anything about being a paramedic that you had no clue was going to be hard that's turned out to be insanely hard? Just You just didn't see it coming. The driving. I didn't know how hard that was going to be on my body, like driving around all the time. Like it didn't put... Like we drive around all day. That's our job. You know, we're driving. <laughs> and I didn't put that together of how many hours that means um so that's been hard you know really getting along with partners and I I get along with most people and most of the people that I work with are really easy to get along with but you know being with someone for 24 to 48 hours can be sometimes trying Mm -hmm. depending on the person yep do Um, you have the space to get away from your partner on shift yes the room and that's nice Mm mm-hmm And, you know, that's the thing, too, is everybody kind of understands when you need just a minute to decompress or be alone or... And I'll, like, go outside and walk around the station. And it's not because I can't stand that person or something. It's just a long time to be with anyone. It really is. You know? Like, even your best friend. Like, eventually, you're going to be like, okay, we're done hanging out. You can go home now. (laughs) I'm going to go to my house, and I'll see you tomorrow. It's like can't do that (laughs) well even with our most intimate significant others oh we are not tied on the radius that you're tied i mean you have to be in (laughs) basically a certain radius to the truck at all times Mm -hmm. and or the uh the pager system so it's a again it falls into the column of this is a weird job it is a weird job what kind of stethoscope do you have i have a litman uh that i got on craigslist for 30 dollars that's a good find um, if you could go back to your paramedic program and you're in charge, how would you change it? What would you, um, right? Because every program is having to think about where they want to put their time. And so some programs opt to spend a lot of time with cardiology. Other ones, uh, emphasize, um, how to drive an ambulance actually. Um, so what would you add to the curriculum, delete from the curriculum, or just generally, mostly what would you emphasize more? I just want to give you a good answer because really cardiology was great to have a whole semester of it, and I thought it was amazing, and um, I almost want to say an extra semester. I mean, I almost want to say I wish cardiology was spread out just a little bit more um, and longer. Which is crazy because it's already a semester long, which is way more than most programs. But it is so incredibly important. Mm-hmm. And not even to go into, you know, different um, syndromes or, or problems and all their tiny details and things that there's 3% of in the world. But mm-hmm. uh, I guess just to, like, really ingrain it, you know? Yeah. 
Sure. Because for some people, I think it just comes and then they're going to remember forever. But mm-hmm. for other people, like, I don't feel like it's ingrained in me. Right. I don't feel like it's a second nature. Whereas some of my friends who went through the same program can look at a 12 lead and give me details about it that we learned for one day in cardiology. Right. right. And, what do you eat on shift? I try to eat well, but then that means preparation, you know. The public loves to feed us. They do not feed us fruits and vegetables. They feed us <laughs> pizza and donuts. Yeah. Because that'll make you sleepy and feel really crappy, too, which is the last thing you need when you're up all night long. Mm-hmm. But when you're up all night long and you're hungry and that's there, yeah, <laughs> it's delicious. <laughs> I, used to, I used to use um, the cookie dough ice cream as a consolation prize after hard calls. That's, mm-hmm. I would go get myself a pint. There is something magical about sitting around eating junk food with your crew. After something really, really terrible happens. The re- it really is. It's like, it's just special. It's it's the equivalent of having a few beers since you can't yes, do it on shift. It's, it is. It's our equivalent. Um, what's your routine for preparing your uniform and your boots and such? I'm kind of a scattered person, so I learned that everything that goes on my uniform needs to go in the boot. Because I will not forget <laughs> the boots. But the keys, the name tag, we wear like a little bit of bling on our shirts, right? Uh, pins and stuff. Those need to go in there. My belt, when I'm able to wear a belt, um, you know, just my regular pants belt. All that stuff needs to be in the boot, in the car, the night before, before we go. Yes, uh-huh. uh, along with clean uniform. That always helps. And I've got it down to a science. It used to be so stressful. I remember in school, it used to take me like two hours to get everything ready. Mm-hmm. And I wanted everything perfect in a little pile right. or else I was going to forget. And oh my gosh, I forgot this one thing. And now it's just like I can get ready so fast without even thinking about it. And mm-hmm. I'm so thankful for that. You said you have you have bling on your <laughs> uniform. And then you talked about pens and it made me think, do you? Have- oh, pens. They go in the boot too. So yeah. writing pens. Yes. Talk to me and about it's- What do you write with? Uh, a pen, and then lately I've been carrying like a sharpie pen. Yeah, so I love helpful. the sharpie. I found so nice. I found the sharpie about a year in as well. Yeah. What do you use your sharpie for? A lot of things. Uh, it works better actually to write on the glove. I found, and then say on a critical call, I think I would prefer that for labeling medications yeah. over a pen, mm-hmm. especially if things are wet, right, or gross, or you know glossy. Mm-hmm. The pen's not going to work, and it's definitely going to work. The Sharpie is definitely going to work, whereas the pen may or may not work. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> what kind of pen? Just any old pen. Okay, so yeah. you don't I'm have, not like, a... super... You're not, because like... I lose them so frequently. Yeah. I'm the pen loser person. I can't hold on to a nice, fancy thing. So, with EMS partners, we were talking about how it's weird. Um, there is... Because you have these shared experiences, like the eating the ice cream after tough calls, some people confuse that with romantic intimacy. Mm-hmm. Um, has that happened to you? A little bit. I mean, yeah, totally. Because mm-hmm. um, it is such a weird world away from your normal world. Yeah. It's like so separate and you laugh so hard in that truck and you have all these hours on the road at night telling stories about your life. And, Mm -hmm. um, I've definitely like been like, do I, am I just really good friends with this person or do I have a crush on them? Or nobody talks, nobody talks about this either. Not to a point where I'm like concerned or, you know, felt my relationship was threatened, but just kind of like that weird feeling of like, Hmm, (laughs) I feel really close and intimate with this Mm -hmm. person. Mm -hmm. And I totally see how it could go 
further. Right. Because I feel like EMS was partially responsible for my breakup. We're in it to win it now. And right. We've been through it, and, and he's not a bad guy, but he told me we had broken up, and we talked on the phone while I was on shift, which was a huge mistake, and he told me something that really rocked my world, like, in a bad way. Yeah. Um, and right after that, we got tones to go to an MVC, like, in the rain. Mm-hmm. And I remember just being so angry that he put me into that mindset before going, but at the same time... I didn't think about that for a good two hours. And like, what a great break. Right. And it didn't involve drugs and it didn't involve alcohol mm-hmm. and it didn't involve me doing something stupid. You know, like when you break up, you go through a period of manic depression, you know, you're just nuts. But then it was all great and I'm with my family and we're eating ice cream and I'm with whoever I might have a crush on and I'm making it through this breakup. But then when you get off shift, it hits you like 10 times harder. Because right. you've been distracted at some f- shape or form for 24 hours. God, this schedule is so hard on a relationship. Mm-hmm. It, but, you know, and then, like, he was working at a bar at the time. I was just like, I don't even, like, how do you expect me to deal with this? And he's like, you sleep in the same room with a dude that's handsome <laughs> and go through these life or death situations. And you're, like, hanging out with firefighters. He had never seen the firefighters at where we work. But, mm-hmm. um, you know. <laughs> Hanging out with firefighters all day, like, eating dinner with these people, watching movies with these people, and you're with them so much more than you're with me. Like, how do you think I feel? And I was like, oh, my God, you're so right. Mm -hmm. I can't believe how right you are. Yeah. He's like, I'm carrying ice buckets up the stairs for hours, like, in a nasty (laughs) bar. Like, it smells like puke. And I'm like, well, my work smells like puke, too. But, (laughs) you know, it just, I just worry about it. I want to go back to something that you said, and that was um, you had had a heated conversation on the phone, tons dropped, and it was actually awesome on the call because it gives you that mental break. Mm -hmm. I think that's what captivated me. That's why I was drawn to the job and loved the job, and that is it's almost, it's certainly not meditative, but it is, you, you are truly, you get out of your own head on calls, like you can't think about your life. Right, and I thought that was going to be hard mm-hmm. going, you know, through any kind of emotional turmoil. I was like, my patient care is going to suffer, but I feel like it was better because right. I was not at all wrapped up. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is like turning your phone off or leaving your phone because having your phone on a call is yeah. obviously not, no. especially when you're in that situation. But mm-hmm. yeah, I was so shocked at how much better I was at my job. Mm-hmm. And during that time, just because it was meditative. Right. It was, it was your escape. It was your, actually your happy place. Mm-hmm. What's your sleep pattern like? So 24 hours on, maybe 48 hours on? Sleeping, even with a normal schedule, is really hard for me. Like, mm-hmm. Well, it's not 24-48s aren't normal. Yeah. 24-48s okay. uh, have a hard time sleeping during the day. I've gotten better at going to sleep at work, though. Napping. Mm-hmm. Gotten way better at napping mm-hmm. at work. I don't know what it is. It's just having 48 hours off, even if you're really tired, that's not, it seems like a long time, but I don't want to waste my time sleeping. So that makes it really hard to go home and go to sleep because I'm like, oh, I'm finally free. I have all this stuff I want to do. But I also, it took me like a good six months to learn that none of that stuff's going to matter if I'm grumpy and exhausted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it got to the point where certain people that I loved would just be like, I don't want to be around you until you've had a nap. Mm. You know, because mm-hmm. I would just try to do it all. 
I have all these deadlines in my head constantly, so and they're not real. So, <laughs> um, I it took a really long time to learn that I need that sleep. What kind of a deadline? What are you talking? I don't about? know. Just like you know, this thing on my to do list has to be done by tomorrow. Okay. Even though it really doesn't ever have to happen, mm-hmm. you know. So let's say, for whatever reason, healthcare doesn't exist anymore. Just mm-hmm. it's not part of the world. I like the arts, writing creative writing especially I love and the same aspect you know that I love about healthcare is the people so something with people yeah but not too many you know not too much people time because I was also going to be a social worker so I was in that program for a year at UT which is kind of funny because uh medical you know being a paramedic is such a mix of biology science and social work Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like merged my two passions that I had for a while um and then travel is my other major thing that I love and then getting to like be so mobile all the time right is sort of like traveling Mm -hmm. I don't know where I'm gonna go I don't know where I'm gonna be who I'm gonna meet every single day is an adventure and that sounds cheesy but it's so true like so back to the original question I think like journalism would be really awesome Mm -hmm. I wish somebody would pay me to write about traveling. Do you ever write about your EMS experiences? Do you ever write? I know you want to write, but do you actually do that? I do. And I keep saying I'm going to start like a journal specifically for calls. And I think that would be a great outlet because the people I'm close to will listen. And I have some family in medical care, but it's not the same as like writing it down. And then how interesting to read that a year later. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. Um, man, I gotta do that. I'm gonna do that. <laughs> I just recently talked uh, to a medic who will basically just journal out calls that he learned from, just so basically to cement the memory of. Mm-hmm. Not really. He's not diffusing. He's more um, just trying to remember like lessons learned the hard way. See, I think mine would be more like about the character. You know, mm-hmm. that it would be more intimate characters. Uh, anecdotes about the patient or right. whatever. When I first started, I was writing about all of the employees that I worked with because yeah. they're such a fascinating group of people and you learn so much about them so fast. Mm-hmm. So I was writing about, you know, we, there's a, a guy that we work with who lives out on a creek and he's been there forever and he just is like one of the sweetest, smartest, most passionate people you've ever met. And I wrote, like, a lot about him, like, mm-hmm. a whole chapter in my journal just because he was so interesting. Yeah. Does he know? Um, probably. Because uh, he writes, too, so mm-hmm. sometimes we'll share. Which doesn't seem like it relates to EMS, but it just goes to show how interesting of... It, it just attracts the most diverse group of people. Mm-hmm. When and that's I've, something I love about it. When I've taken inventory of why I do this job or why I did that job... It's changed through the years why I think I did it, right? So my understanding of why I did it. But I remember being a kid and (laughs) on my way, I would get allergy shots. And on the way to get allergy shots, we would pass by this fire station. And I would see the fire guys just sitting down on this picnic table just chatting. And I'm like, that looks so cool. Like, they're they're, – it looked like a lot of – they had like a built-in little tribe, Mm -hmm. right? It's and like I, old men getting coffee in the morning. It's just like that. And I thought, I want to be a part of that. 
Um, and that is something that I miss about being in the field because my current work as an educator is just not the same. Like you're not going through literally like threatening environments together, right? Mm-hmm. Do you know why you decided to become a paramedic? Uh, I kind of ran out of options. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I went to school for so long and I wasted so much money. Um, <laughs> and... I remember, like, my parents were helping me pay for some of this UT stuff. We were sort of splitting it, and I was just so distracted by the world and how wonderful it was and this city and my bicycle and Mm -hmm. new friends that it made it really hard for me to study genetics. (laughs) And and I think now, you know, I could do it if I put my mind to it, but at the time, everything else was just so much more appealing, so quit and traveled a lot. And uh, came back from traveling, and my mom's like, you got to figure something out. Like, you can't just work, you know, in this wine bar where I worked. And it was great, but I was like, yeah, I know. You know, it's not stimulating me, and I knew I needed something. And my friend was in basic, and I thought, well, what's a thousand bucks in a semester? If I hate it, then Mm -hmm. moving on. And then took basic and was just hooked. Went straight to paramedic after that. What did you like about it? Just that it merged those social and science, mm-hmm. social science and like, like I said, travel or excitement and different experiences every day, people, like different people every single day. And I like the adrenaline factor, even though later I see that it, while that is a big part of it and, it, you know, definitely drew me into the beginning, it's the day to day is less fueled by that. But. It sounds like you're really intrigued by your patients as people. Yeah. <laughs> I remember going in people's homes, the low acuity calls, and if I wasn't running the call, I would get a little distracted, like looking at their oh, paintings absolutely. and their, their uh, self-portraits and things like that. I get so into it. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, we get in the truck later and I'm like, did you see that golden <laughs> dog that was full of marbles? And they're like, no, what, where were you? And I was like, oh, it was in that other room. <laughs> like, why were you in there? I was looking for medication. Yeah, just pictures of their family. But it makes it real, too. Cause, and the, I see how people in the hospital have a hard time treating these patients as people when they're turning and burning. Right. They see everybody in a... In the same place. Well, and they see them all in a gown, mm-hmm. a hospital gown. Yeah, they don't see their house and their dog. And, no. Or, you know, the people in really bad situations that are peeing in buckets with no AC. Yeah. Yep. Okay. We must have been in the same house. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> And then I started thinking about that call I ran with all the gallons of pee. It makes you so thankful for your own life, the job does. Mm-hmm. And it's made me want to be healthier, for sure. Hmm. Yeah. It's made me want to be safer. Mm-hmm. Um, the health part, I have trouble. It's like the long game. I have a little trouble with that. But the short game, as far as behaviors that can lead to you know trauma injuries and things, I've gotten, uh, I don't call it uh, like a stress response, but like when it rains, I get like a little, I think, more nervous than the average bear on the road mm-hmm. um, because of wrecks I've seen in the rain. Oh, yeah. Or if the person doesn't come home right when they say, yeah, I'm then they must be dead. Yeah. Like, for sure. <laughs> um, do you have a permanent partner or do you do they float around? They float, especially right now. They're very floaty. Okay. So I can't ask you basically, like, what do you and your partner talk about? But just, in ge- I guess we can generalize here. You are going to a call, and let's say it sounds like a medium acuity call. It's not CPR in progress, regular old 
general sickness call. Mm-hmm. What do you guys talk about on the way to the call? I still like to go through just differentials, but it also depends on the partner. You know, mm-hmm. if they're really cool, then we'll just turn up the radio. But Right. <laughs> but there are certain calls that still scare me. Like, I'm not that comfortable with respiratory calls. I mean, I am, but uh, that's one of the ones that really gets my blood pumping. Mm-hmm. The stroke is like, meh. Yeah. Even the cardiac is like, all right, this will be fun. But the respiratory just kind of makes me a little extra nervous. So what is it about respiratory calls that they just feel so urgent? And they are, mm-hmm. you know. And I think it's the fact that I have, that I do have tools to use. Like a stroke, I can't really do much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that takes some pressure off. Mm-hmm. Uh, but respiratory is like, you know, you can make it better or worse. And the patient is so stressed out. So yeah, that's they have hard. A, often they have a dramatic presentation, right? Mm-hmm. It's audible. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does depend on the partner, doesn't it? Like what your what the vibe is on the way to a call. Like some just don't even want to engage the topic of the nature of the call, and you don't even talk about it. Like you, you know, both of you are thinking about it, though. That's why I love working with um, people that I graduated with. We just are on the same path trained the same way yeah and i don't care if we've run this asthma call 10 times both of us and it is going to be probably easy they're going to be cool with me sitting there going okay so let's think about this well what else could it be what should we do first you know yeah sounds really good let's wrap it up all right um thank you for coming and uh visiting with me it was uh, a pleasure i enjoyed hearing your anecdotes (laughs) I appreciate in particular you just getting real and just telling me how it really is. Yeah. Because that's what people need to hear. It's true. It is so true because I didn't, that's one thing I did wish I knew, you know, some of the stuff that it's not about being a badass. Right. It's really about not being that.